Welcome to the CFO Corner. I'm your host, Nick Ezzo. In the CFO Corner, we sit down with CFOs and corporate finance professionals and advisors to hear about the innovative approaches and technology they use to scale and grow their organization. With me today is Dr. Bill Connerly. Dr. Connerly connects the dots between the economy and business. He's a business economics consultant, a senior contributor to Forbes, and a Duke University PhD. Go Blue Devils. He has worked in economics and corporate planning at two Fortune 500 corporations and at a major bank where he was senior vice president. Welcome, Dr. Connerly. Hey, good to chat with you, Nick, and feel free to call me Bill. All right, Bill, thanks. Um, first of all, why don't you tell me about your current role and what, what you do? I'm a consultant. I'm a lone eagle with some poor people in the background. I help business leaders understand how the economy is impacting them. So I do forecasting, but I also suggest to people items that should be on their to-do list. For instance, the tight labor market. Is that something that is going to be a concern in the rest of 2023? Is it something that's going to be a concern for the rest of the decade? So getting the right priorities of things to address is part of my uh, service to uh, business leaders. And I know you work with CFOs. Specifically, how do you work with CFOs in corporate America? Well, CFOs are oftentimes the companies channeled to the outside world in that they are paying more attention to interest rates, usually financing opportunities, but they're also uh, alert to the economic data. So one of the things that CFOs are always asking me is, hey, are we going in a recession? If so, when? Because the sharp ones are saying, well, what is my cash position going to look like if we have you know, 30% drop in orders over the next year. So they're pumping me for a forecast. So I will add that the best of them are not betting their company on any one guru's economic forecast. Well, I know, I know you're not a, a fortune teller, a tarot card reader, soothsayer, magic, you know, crystal ball reader, but you know, here we are in February, 2023, you know, can you give me your, oh, there you go. You've got a crystal I've, ball. I've got the crystal okay. ball here. I stand corrected. You are a crystal ball reader. So so if you had appeared in your crystal ball this morning, what did it tell you about the outlook for 2023 and beyond? I think that the U.S. is headed for a recession. I think it begins later than most of my colleagues think. I believe it's going to start late in 2023 or early in 2024, be moderate. But it's also important to understand where a particular company sits in the overall economy. The most interest rate sensitive parts of the economy, like mortgage brokering, selling new houses, that sector is already cratered. And now we're going to see other interest sensitive sectors like business capital spending have an effect. And then later on, we'll get to the ripple effects. So each each CFO probably understands a little bit of this, but it's worth pausing and thinking, okay, are we an early stage victim of higher interest rates or a later stage company that will suffer from the ripple effects as the interest rates continue? So uh, in, the, in the previous recessions we've experienced, like from the 1980s, the 1990s and 2000s and beyond, it's been marked by high unemployment, which is Interesting now because looking at the news today, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, unemployment rates are at a historic low or 50, 40, 50 years low. How do you interpret that inverted economic outlook for, for the country with respect to unemployment rates? Yeah, I believe that supports my thesis that we're not in a recession now in February of 2023, and we're going to be six, nine months before we actually enter a recession. The layoff headlines always come before the actual layoffs. 
their legal requirements to announce this stuff ahead of time. But there's a measure of the initial claim for unemployment insurance, which is a really good leading indicator of the economy. And those numbers are headed down rather than up. And some of what's happening is people are getting laid off, but some of them are walking across the street to a company that still has open positions. So because of the tight labor market, I think the effect of the higher interest rates on the overall economy will be delayed from what many people are expecting. So from a CFO's perspective, how how do you run a business in uncertain economic waters or it's uncharted waters today? So how would you advise a CFO to think about things in the future? It's, it's a very challenging position. You're, yeah. you're being asked to choose door A, B, or C, and, and you don't know which door to choose. Yeah. You know, when I was, when I was a, a young economist, I wanted to be like the go-to guru whose numbers were right all the time. And that bus kind of left without me. So what I decided was, well, let's Let's help business leaders figure out what to do in an uncertain environment. Wrote a book on that subject. Oh, let me grab a copy here. The oh, there flexible, you go. The flexible there, there, stance. There you and, go. Shameless and, promotion right there. The flexible stance. Buy it on new well, you know, We're all doing a little marketing. But, That's right. Nothing wrong with that. But, but the point is that the future is uncertain, not only about the economy, but about the course of technology, social attitudes, competition, government. And I advise people to think, okay, what are we going to do if something changes? And on the negative side, like recession, sketching out a plan, all right, what would we want to do if we have an average recession? What would we want to do about staffing, about inventory levels, about trade credit practices? The list varies from company to company, but thinking through it ahead of time is valuable. And it's valuable for two reasons. First of all, as I was writing that book, I got on the phone to bankers that I knew and asked them, hey, what's the difference between a company that survives a recession and a company that fails in a recession? And the bankers, mostly dealing with like medium-sized businesses, the bankers uh, routinely said the difference is how fast they respond to the change. How fast they respond to the change. And if somebody has taken a, a you know a single sheet of paper and sketched out, here's what we will do in a recession, they will typically respond faster. They don't have to start from scratch thinking about it. But there's a second advantage, which is they tend to respond smarter because mm. we're in a panic, you know, not meeting Wall Street expectations or maybe can't make payroll or somebody's breathing down my neck, the bank is going to send us to special a- assets. We don't make our best decisions in a panic. Yeah. So doing the contingency planning in a relaxed time, you know, have a cup of coffee or other beverage, you know, with key <laughs> team members, sketch out what you would do. A plan can be developed that is consistent with a company's long-run strategy and core value. Well, given the fact that the CFO is is, is supposed to minimize risk, in addition to managing cash and things like that, uh, the CFO is kind of expected to to think of all these different contingency plans and to own those those plans. Um, in your opinion, how does the CFO best support the CEO and, and thereby by transitive properties by the, to the board itself? Well, I think that CFOs have more to offer their company than many of them are delivering. And to some extent, that could be a CEO who wants to keep the CFO in a box, you know, no, no, this is your area. You don't step over here. 
But let me give you a good example. We have been through the last couple of years a very tight labor market. Mm-hmm. And uh, recruiting is difficult. Employee retention is probably the the best thing to do about that. Keep the people you already have and have trained. Mm-hmm. And yeah. there's a, a friend of mine, Dick Finnegan, who is an expert on employee retention. And the first thing he does when he comes into a company is says, "Let's get the CFO here." Mm-hmm. And most people think retention is an HR job. Right. The line managers who are actually trying to get work done, it's it's a problem for them. But Dick's point is that the CFO can help understand what is the cost of employee turnover. Right. Not just what does it cost to hire somebody, but what is the cost of training? Estimate what is the cost of having somebody in that first six months of coming up to speed in terms of supervision, errors that are made that, you know, are just sort of normal for a new employee. And Finnegan says, you know, the CFO really ought to help put a number on the cost of turnover. And with that number in place, then the whole company can say, ah, this is a much bigger number. In Finnegan's experience, it's a much bigger number than anybody expected. So I would, I think in an ideal company, the CFO area is used for a broader range of analytical tools because typically the HR people and the operating people don't quite have the um, analytical tools that the uh, finance area does. Yeah, well, we've, I want to touch on tools in a second, but before we go there, does does Dick Finnegan touch on the, uh, the, the does he try to quantify the cost of the institutional knowledge that walks out the door every time we lose an employee? I, yeah, I, yeah, I think so because that knowledge has to be you know replaced somehow, right. and, that's and it didn't come at no cost, right? It, it was acquired yeah. over several years, and so having that institutional knowledge and the culture just walk out the door, I think is. It, yeah, if you had to write down, if you had a line on the, the balance sheet under assets of institutional knowledge of our existing employees, you want to take a write off every time somebody walks out the door. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so you talked about tools for a second. This is, you know, I work for a technology company, Auditory AI. You can see my logo right behind me over here. Um, so what, what's your thought about how, what, what roles technology play, um, not just in the office of the CFO, but in, in accounting and finance, corporate finance in general? How does technology help or hurt? I don't know. Well, it's obvious that, you know, we're becoming more technologically dependent. My grandfather made a living doing arithmetic as a bookkeeper, you know. The green eye shades and the the, the paper ledger. A a pencil and a paper (laughs) ledger, you know, that job is no longer available no matter how good you are at arithmetic. But there's a pace to change and the pace seems pretty fast. But let me tell you a story. I'm going through a manufacturing company that's basically a job shop. They're doing projects for specific customers that need things. And I am looking at a machine operator writing on paper log that he has finished a project for the Acme company and he's going to a project for the baker. And the finance officer is giving me a tour. And I'm like, hey, you know, did you think ever think about automating that, that you know, barcode or something like that? And this was a few years back. But the finance officer said, yeah, we looked into that, but it didn't quite pencil out. Oh, my okay. God. <laughs> well, I can believe that the, a particular kind of automation didn't pencil out. But then I asked, how long ago did you look at it? And she said, three years ago. And then I mm-hmm. did a calculation using, you know, public data of, the average change in the cost of like personal computers and software yep. way down 
the average change in the cost of employees way up. And I found that over three years, there was a 40% swing in the cost of technology compared to the cost of labor, Hmm. which says to me, if you do an analysis and something does not quite pencil out three years ago, it probably pencils out today. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So specifically in the last 12 months, like, yeah. Right. And particularly with the advances in AI, but even even more mundane forms of things, the optical scanning, the mm-hmm. um, recognition of different objects. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the, the tight labor market you talked about earlier, I mean, literally a drive through operator um, in Michigan, I just saw it yesterday, starting at $16 an hour. Now, that's a far cry of when I was a drive through operator making $3.35 an hour. But um, so, 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 so given that, that fact that like that the curve is an intersection point between you know, the cost of labor going up and the cost of technology coming down, will robots take away accounting and finance jobs? Yeah, yeah my first reaction to that is, well, maybe they should. But there are a number of mundane tasks that I think are, are going away. I was meeting with a group of accounts payable managers speaking to them. And this was 10 years ago. And I heard about how much they had driven down the cost of the AP function in their different companies. And Mm -hmm. first they were outsourcing a lot of work to India. Mm -hmm. And then they brought in technology and cut costs there. So I think that I I don't know how much further gains there are in the typical shop but i think that we're not going to outsource the uh the analytical side yeah we're going to make it easier to do the analysis but you need mm-hmm. uh, i think a human being for quite some time to figure out hey is this where is this number where it should be mm-hmm. so part of the accounting function is what is the number and mm-hmm. that i think is going to get automated more easily but what should the number be can mm-hmm. we bring this cost down? Can we bring that revenue up? That mm-hmm. is a long way from being automated. Yeah, it's not automated today. I mean, human judgment um, cannot be supplanted by technology. Even like the idea of possibilities, what you talked about, where, where should this number be or where could this number be? The whole idea of imagination and, and creativity. Yeah. I, I mean, yes, there are AI bots that will create a, you know, a Winnie the Pooh in the Van Gogh style or whatever, but like yeah, right. cre- creativity, it, it, that's like mimicking creativity. It's not actual creativity. So, I, I was uh, working with a company, if, if I may, and they did not have a good sense of whether their manufacturing costs were higher or lower than others in their industry. And I said, well, we, we, we can't, you know, get right to your niche, but we can get to a broader category that includes your industry. And we can actually pull down from government website, average, percentage of sales spent on manufacturing labor devoted to inventory you know devoted to things but it was a pain for that company to align their own chart of accounts with the government statistical categories but i think it would have been useful and hopefully ai like the stuff you do would make it fairly straightforward of oh here's this industry classification Here's a company finances. Let's do some magic to align them as best we can and give the company an idea of are their costs above their peers or below their peers. Yeah, for sure. So, Bill, this is going to, it's been a fantastic interview. I, I, it's gone by so fast. I, I can't believe it. I've learned so much today. You know, thanks again for, for joining us today. 
Ladies and gentlemen, please thank Dr. Bill Connolly for joining us today and please enjoy the rest of your day. Great chatting with you, Nick.